You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Real good. You're free to go. <laughs> Amen. Let's just pray while we're standing. Father God, we're just so conscious of your presence. And we just say, have your way. Have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Be glorified, Lord Jesus. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Bless you. Real good. Joy to be able to share again this morning. I am a little selfish about uh, ministering. I'll tell you why. Uh, Probably very few of you know that over the last quite a long time now, uh, I have lived with pain in my hips, in my neck, and and it just is something that I live with because of the stroke that I had because I fell downstairs and that messed up my back. Last Sunday night, while we were having our time, I wasn't long into ministering and I became aware of the fact there was no pain in my body. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And... uh, I was just excited about that. That, you know, that all that night, all the next day, and probably most of that next night, I still had no pain whatsoever in my body. It started to creep back on me <coughs> Tuesday, but not in the same manner that it was, nor with the same uh, vicious manner, but more of a stiffness in, in my joints. And that all the week it's been... Good. And so you can understand why I'm pretty keen to get back in. (laughs) Because in there, there's freedom. I have found in my life that in the presence of God, I'm talking about in the manifest presence of God, everything that the enemy will throw at you is dissolved. We are living in the most incredible day today because... Darkness is being dissolved. (laughs) If you think about it, that is a lot more than just being driven back. It's being dissolved. And as the Spirit of God rises in our hearts, it rises in the meeting. As it rises in the meeting, darkness is dissolved and driven back. And there'll come a point where we will see the impact of that in the lives of those around about us. Every one of us has a circle of influence that no one else can touch. But God wants to touch them through us, through you, through me. He wants those people's lives to be touched with the power of the living God. So many times we come to Jesus because we're desperate and we experience his saving grace but then we coast for the rest of our lives that's not what God wants folks God wants us to come in 
to the fullness of his presence. He wants his presence to flow out of us. I'm having trouble standing up. Let's try and have a go. Psalm 24 verse 3 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Psalm 15 says much the same. Who shall um, ascend into the hill of God? Who shall dwell in that place? The hill of God, the mountain of God, Zion, the new Jerusalem are all synonymous terms. They all mean the same thing. When it says, who shall ascend into the mountain of the Lord or to the hill of the Lord, like Isaiah and Micah say, uh, we used to sing it, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Who remembers that song? Well, that's very relevant. But the mountain of the Lord is not a hill. It's not a mountain. It's a, it's a place. It's a place where the presence of God is manifest and he wants us to come up into the mountain of the Lord. He wants us to come into the holy of holies. He wants us to come into that place where we are experiencing that. Uh, <clears throat> if I could um, go back in John 14, I, you know, I encourage so many people to read John 14, 15, 16 and 17. Just read those four chapters over and over and over and let the Holy Ghost start speaking to you about what God is doing right now. God wants us to be into a place where we experience what it is for Christ to be in us and also for us to be in Christ. Do you know the ramifications of that? Because in John 14, Jesus said to them, The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What God wants is you to obey his commandments, and if you obey his commandments, he will come and live with you. Do you get a hold of that? He wants to come and live with us. When you wake up in the night, he's there. And you can talk to him. When you get up in the morning, he's there. When you go to work, he's there. Whatever you're doing, he's there. Because he will never leave us nor forsake us. But we choose not to live a life that close to reality. We want it to be a Sunday experience. God does not want it to be a Sunday experience. If those that attend churches don't embrace what God is doing today, let me tell you what will happen. God will go outside the church and he will raise up a generation of people who desire to live in his presence. And through them he will work wondrous works in the nation. It's incumbent upon us to follow. We were singing just a while ago, Jesus is calling. I couldn't say it any better. Jesus is calling us. He's calling us into the holy of holies. Calling us into the manifest presence of God. 
last Sunday night we experienced it in part and all my pains left me. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. I don't give a hoot what's up with you. In his presence, it will go. In his presence, it will dissipate. It will dissolve. It will go from your life. Listen, Thompson, you're not finished with Africa. You're going to have an impact in Africa in the days that lie ahead. I'm not saying when or anything else or how, but I just sense in my spirit, you're going to have an impact back into that nation. Is that all right, Mama? (laughs) I better try and contain myself. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that everything that happened in 1 Corinthians 10 also tells it, everything that happened to the children of Israel in their exodus out of Egypt and their journeys in the wilderness is an example, it's a flannel graph, it's a picture, it's a symbol of what is taking place in our lives and what is happening in the spirit realm. We need to understand that. If I could have our picture up, honey, if we can get it up. Can you see that, folks? It's not very dark, but that's the best I could make it. There's a picture. Has anyone not ever seen the tabernacle in the wilderness? That's a picture of the tabernacle as it was established in the wilderness. On each of the four sides of it were the tribes of Israel that were their encampments. On the four sides, east, west, north, south, the tribes of Israel were camped out there in tents all over the place. I have never studied any area of the Bible that carries more significance and teaches more truth than the tabernacle of Moses. What happened to them is what happens to us. It happened to them in the natural. But God was doing it in the natural that we might understand what is transpiring in the spirit realm and what God wants for us to <coughs> experience in that. Just leave it up there. That would be okay, will it? <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. You notice, or anyone that knows anything about it, you'll notice that there's three parts to it. There's the outer court and then the major building which contained the Holy of Holies and it contained the Holy Place. So there were three compartments. I I wish I could... There there must be some way with the technology. I might learn it. I might learn it. How that I can put a, a pointer on my iPad and, and just point out what I'm talking about. That's, that's in the technological age. <laughs> so we have the three parts. We have the outer court, we have the holy place and then we have the holy of holies. In the holy of holies, you will see in the picture, it's not very good, But you see in a picture a cloud rising up off that because in the holy place was the presence of God manifest. 
When I was only young and not long filled with the Spirit, I was engrossed with this whole thing. And so I said, Lord, I really would like to know what the, what the pillar of fire looked like. And in an instant, like that, in my spirit, I saw an atomic mushroom. Then I realised that it says that it was a shadow to them in the daytime. It was a light in the night and it was a shadow in the daytime. And so every time I see a mushroom cloud, I get excited again and I say, hallelujah, let it be manifest, O God. I want to tell you something, folks. As we get into the presence of God, that cloud is manifest in our meetings. It, it goes over the meeting. And you see, you can learn, and I use that word learn, you can learn where you're sitting to receive out of it. You see, it's faith that draws out of heaven. It draws out of the presence of God. Now, there are three compartments in there. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Is that true? Yes. You know what he said? John 14. The way to the Father is the cross. Jesus is the way. The truth is the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15, 16 tells you that. The Holy Spirit has come. He is the truth. He come to reveal truth. He is the truth. And so he is the truth. But the Father is life. All life comes from Father God. You have no life apart from God's life. And so the three compartments give us an indication of the way, the truth, and the life. Corresponding to our bodies, we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And there's just so many things we could go through and talk about the tripart nature of these aspects, and we could understand a lot of that. Now, people who were seeking to come to God first had to come to the gateway, which is not there, but it's slowly, you can see, if you look at it closely, you can see a little darker patch there up this end. Oh, the orange, button. <laughs> hey? the orange button. The orange button. Can you see that? I can't even hold it still. <laughs> There's no doubt about you, Joel. That's unbelievable. <laughs> so that's the gateway. And when you came in the gateway, see, outside of that perimeter was the, was the multitudes, the multitudes, multitudes. Outside are the multitudes of unsaved. But Jesus is the way to the Father's heart. That used to be a chorus we sang. Jesus is the way to the Father's heart. Just inside, well, I get my button going. Just inside there, we have the brazen altar. But that doesn't show it up on that one. 
You have to improve on it. <laughs> when I get my iPad, I'm going to invent a way of doing it. <laughs> Very interesting, and I'm not going to go into all the details of it, but the brazen altar was made of brass. Brass throughout the Bible speaks of judgment. The brazen altar was where the people brought their animal sacrifices. It was where the blood was shed. The blood was shed and it was poured at the foot of the brazen altar. The cross speaks of the brazen altar. It's where Jesus Christ died. And when the spear was shoved into Jesus' side, blood and water poured down to the foot of the cross, to the foot of the brazen altar, where Jesus was paying the price for our redemption. John called him the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Oh, I tell you, he was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There on the cross of Calvary, God's wrath on sin was poured out. The longer I live, the more I understand it and the more it blows me away. When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. The work of redemption is finished. The work of salvation is finished. The old covenant is finished with its rules and regulations and everything else. It's finished. A new covenant was opened in the blood of Jesus, ratified when he raised from the dead. And he comes there ever interceding for us. Oh, boy. What are you doing to me, Marty? Just up past there, you see there somewhere where I'm trying to hold it, <laughs> is the laver, what's called the laver. It was a bowl that stood up, upright, and it was made out of mirrors. <laughs> Go read the facts. It's all in the Bible, every little detail. It was made out of the mirrors that the ladies owned, which really was silver, if I remember rightly. Silver mirrors. They had a polished piece of silver that they used to look at and comb their hair. They used to comb their hair in the Old Testament. <laughs> they didn't have beauty salons, though. But they gathered up the mirrors from the ladies and they made the laver, which was made out of this silver and it contained water. And the priest would come and wash there. All of the staff, all the ones that were there that were participating, would come and wash. You know, when they looked into the laver, they saw themselves. There was a reflection of themselves. You know, that's the amazing thing about our redemption. When we are progressing towards God, He lets us see ourselves. Because it's when we see ourselves, we realize that we are undone. We cannot approach the presence of God because we're not what we know we ought to be. But Jesus has made a way for us, and so we press in through that. We press in. Washing is a type of water baptism, it's where we identify with Jesus, it's where we we identify with his death and his, his resurrection. 
death, burial, and resurrection. I remember many years ago, boy, it has to be many years ago, I remember baptizing a number of people, and I, I don't think I've ever seen, oh, well, I did, I had to remember one in Victoria, a baptismal service that was so powerful, because I had, I had said to the people, I said, listen, forget about the formulas, because at that time, I remember across Australia, there was a lot of arguing going on about whether you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or whether you're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of it was vitriolic, some of the stuff that was going on. But I felt the Lord say to me that it's got nothing to do with the formula. It's got to do whether you exercise faith in the death of Jesus. It's whether you exercise faith in the resurrection of Jesus. And so I had taught the people that were getting baptized that you are, when you're going down in the water, you are identifying with the burial of Jesus. He's dead. And to bury him, you, there's a law that says you've got to bury dead people. That's what water baptism is all about. It's about burying the dead person. <clears throat> I've lived long enough to realize that we have a lot of people that have been baptized, but they're still alive. They went into the water dry sinners, came up wet sinners. <laughs> That's not what God wants. God wants us to go into there with all of our sin, with all of our shortcomings, all of our problems and everything else and die. And then we come up out of the water. We rise in newness of life. Hallelujah. But so many times that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen because we don't exercise faith for it to happen. When you exercise faith for it to happen, it will happen. And that day when we were having that baptismal service, I tell you, a number of the people, I, I said, I'd get them in the water and I'd say, let's just pray. I'd start praying. Bonk, they're gone. I had to fish them out of the water. Because as they started to exercise faith, the power of God came on them. They couldn't stand up any longer. I fished people out of the water tank. Go down here, find them, pull them up out of there. Oh, glory to God. If you're getting upset with me, you've got a problem. <laughs> the last thing Pat said to me, Pat's not here this morning because she had to go to a family baby dedication. I said, well, you go and represent the family. I'm going to preach. What was I talking about? <laughs> Pat said, whatever you do, don't get carried away with yourself. <laughs> she said, I know what you're like when the anointing's in the meeting. She said, you're likely to do anything. Well, that's, that's probably true too. <laughs> I get my thing. <laughs> Pressing on, we come to the door, which is there at the front of that cubicle building. Oh, I tell you what, you ought to, you ought to really study Exodus and, and Leviticus and, and read how that was made. All the intricate stuff. It is absolutely thrilling to understand that. It's the door to the holy place. Jesus came and he said he was the door, John 10, uh, verse 8, I think, or 9. He said, I'm the door. And I think you've heard me speak on that before. And he wants to come to us as the door. 
the door to what? <laughs> the door into the holy place, of course. So he is the door. He's the sacrifice. He's the labor. He's the door. He's the door into the holy place. And as we come to there, we move into a new dimension in the Holy Ghost. Outside, well, I'm not going to get my light going on it. Outside, you, anybody with any brains can see that outside was natural light. Natural light. That was all natural light out there. But once you go through that veil, through the doorway rather, it's, it's made out of animal skins. And if you've ever hidden under a sheepskin, you know it's pitch black. No light comes through a sheepskin. Well, it wasn't made out of sheepskins. It was made out of badger's skins. Poor badgers. How many badgers would they have to catch the skin to make all that? Someone said, you shouldn't think about all those things. Well, I do. I think about how many badgers had to die to make all that massive big thing. In there, it was pitch dark. No, it wasn't. Because once you came through the door into the holy place, the seven-branch candlestick was there, the memorah, and it was fed by oil, and the place was filled with incredible light. But it was no longer natural light. It was now the light of the oil. And so to come from out there into the holy place is to come from natural thinking, natural understanding into a place where there now is spirit light, light of the spirit, revelation of the spirit, illumination of the spirit. It's a place where we know what we didn't know. Boy, I tell you, I would like an hour to preach on every one of these things. We might get a little understanding about it then. We come in there. And suddenly there's a new way of seeing. I never forget when I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I remember reading my Bible. I opened my Bible one day, only a day or two after I got filled with the Spirit. I could not believe what had happened. I said, this is not the same Bible I had before. And you would not believe where I opened the Bible up to start reading. It was in Second Corinthians, no, First Corinthians chapter two, I think it is. It says, "The natural man understands not the things of the spirit. You have to become a spiritual man before you can understand the things of the spirit." And I realized that when we get baptized in the Holy Ghost, we come into a new dimension of God. We come, there's an illumination comes into us where we see things we never saw before. See, folks, it all depends where you're living. Are you living outside of the brazen altar? Or have you come through the door into the baptism of the Holy Ghost, into the realm of the Spirit? Because that's where God wants us to come in our journey towards the Holy of Holies. He wants us to come in there. Oh, folks, that is so good. The Word of God becomes fresh every day. Also in that department was the table of showbread. It was a table that had loaves of bread on it, signifying the tribes of Israel, but it was also about bread. The bread was changed every day. It had to be new. Listen, Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. 
He said, you've got to eat of me if you want to have a life. The bread represents the Word of God. If you and I are to eat of the Word of God, have you had a feed this morning of the Word of God? Have you eaten of the Word of God? If you think you can live your life without the Word of God, let me tell you, out of 60 years of Pentecost, you can't. You can't live without the Word. The Word is as necessary to us as our eating and drinking. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he said, unless you drink of my blood, unless you eat of my flesh, you've got no life in you. And so we have to eat this book. I am so indebted to the church of Christ that I grew up in because when I was just a kid in Sunday school, we memorized scripture. We memorized great slabs of it. I've got a whole heap of certificates at home that I won as a kid for memorization of the word. And I am so thankful to them because the word became a part of my life. And when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit just keeps pulling stuff out. Pat says to me many times, she said, where did you learn that? Where did you get that from? I said, well, I got it in the Church of Christ Sunday School, if you want to know. And the Holy Spirit just brings up. But if you don't put it in there, the Holy Ghost got nothing to get out. So it's necessary that you come and eat of the showbread. But in there was probably one of the most amazing other pieces of furniture. It was called the incense altar. It stood by the veil. If we could draw it on the platform here, down here we have the brazen altar. And then we have the laver where the washing is. Then we come to the door, which takes us into the holy place. As the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we move into a, whew, a whole new dimension. We have the lamp on the side here. We have the showbread over there. And then when we approach the veil, we have the altar of incense. Now listen to me. This is the protocol. It was the protocol back there in Egypt. And in the land of Canaan, and it's the protocol today. You have to go back here to the brazen altar and you get coals from off the brazen altar and you carry them through to the incense altar and then sprinkle incense on them. The coals that are blood-soaked from up there are now brought here and incense is put on them. And if you've ever done that, if you know what that's about, I've done that. I know about it from a blacksmithing background. The smoke rises up. The perfume rises up off the coals. And it permeated through into the holy place. The holy of holies, I mean. When we come to this point of the holy place, it's our worship we stand and worship. But our worship is based on what took place back here. We can't worship unless we get coals from the brazen altar. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you that your blood washes away all my sin. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I worship you. I worship you. Oh, I wish I could sing. That was one of the things Pat warned me not to do. 
Do you realize in the Temple of Solomon, and you can go read it all for yourself, the Temple of Solomon, the veil was 50 feet high and 20 feet wide. And it was four inches thick. It's like getting a heap of bed mattresses and sewing them together. Actually, uh, the old writers say that they were, it was made in squares, a metre square. Describes how it was made. And then they were sewn together in the metre squares. When they took it down and washed it, because it kept getting blood sprinkled on it, when it took it down and washed it, it took 300 priests to carry it. How they ever did it, I don't know. But there was no doorways in the veil. There was no holes in the veil. There was no way to get in to that place. Buckle your seatbelts, folks. The old rabbis and the book of Josephus tells us how the priest got in there. How he got into the manifest presence of God. He took the coals from there, goes through, offers them there with the incense, but he's also bringing the blood of the sacrifice. And he stands by the veil, trembling with fear, because everyone knew that if you weren't right with God, to enter his presence was death. And so he stands by the veil with the blood, with the incense all around him and all over him and everything else. The old rabbis and Josephus said that if the sacrifice was accepted, if the incense worship was accepted, he went through the veil. A translocation took place in that he was suddenly on the other side of the veil. You say, well, how does that take place? Well, that takes place because they had come, he had come to a place of resonance. See, we, we, there's two words the Lord gave me this week. He said, you have to synchronize with what God's doing. And when it comes to worship, you have to resonate with his nature. When our, our worship is acceptable to God and we come by the basis of the cross, and so it's acceptable because of that, we worship God, we become one. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus, he rent the veil in twain. It was rent in twain. You know that Josephus said, he said, teams of horses could not pull the veil in part. It could not be done. It was physically impossible to pull the veil apart. Four inches thick of woven, woven material, all woven. He said, horses couldn't. That's, you read it in the book of Josephus, History of the Jews. Horses couldn't pull it apart. But here's a man, the priest, coming with the blood of the sacrifice, offering the incense. And as he does, he begins to resonate with the very presence of God and suddenly he's through the veil. Jesus, <laughs> Holy Spirit, I'm not just leaning on you to help me. Jesus, Hebrews tells us, says he went 
through the veil. Folks, I know I'm making something up. It's all in the book. Jesus went through the veil. He says, that is to say, his flesh. Read Hebrews 9 and 10. tells you the whole deal. His flesh. He went through it in his flesh. You know, the only way (laughs) into the manifest presence of God is through death. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, die. If you want my life, you've got to give yours up. But Jesus went through the veil for us. <laughs> oh, man, alive. But you see, to know what it is to go into the Holy of Holies, you have to know what it is to be in Christ. See, out at the brazen altar, we find about the sacrifice and how we can receive Christ as our Saviour and Lord. Then we come into the holy place and we learn about the Holy Spirit and we have understanding about God and about his presence, about his word and all of that. And that just gets us so excited. And then we just want to worship God. But I tell you, it's when we start to resonate with God that we go through the veil. But we go through the veil through the body of Jesus Christ. We've been brought into unity with him. Are we in Christ? It's only in Christ can you go through the veil. It's got to be more than singing songs around the brazen altar. We can get out there and say, oh, the blood of Jesus. Now starting again. And we can just enjoy it. And we can even dance around the altar singing songs about the blood and the songs about the sacrifice. And that's all good. But that's not what God's got in mind. He wants to get us into his presence. He wants to get us into a place where his presence saturates our being. Saturates our being. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus made a way into the very presence of God for you and I. And he wants us to identify with him. He went in, and it tells us in the Gospels, he said to Mary in the garden, he said, don't touch me yet. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. And then Hebrews tells us that he went to the Father bearing his own blood. He was the priest bringing the blood to the veil. And he goes through the veil into the presence of God. He said, don't touch me. I don't want anything to contaminate me. That's what it's all about. If you read Leviticus, you'll understand about contamination. The things of this world contaminate us, folks. There's more contamination in the world than I've ever seen before. And there's more contamination in the church than I've ever seen before. 
that God wants us to come by the laver, know what it is to be washed, come into the presence of the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit fill us and thrill us, but don't stop there. You can stay out there singing about the blood of Jesus and the wonderful things that happened at Calvary on Calvary. You can come in here and say, start singing, My soul crieth out for the Spirit. I'm hungering and thirsting to know the fullness divine that he giveth. Oh, fill me while humbly I bow. But God wants more than that. He wants us to enjoy the salvation that we have. He wants us to be thrilled with the Holy Ghost. But he wants us to come and enter in to an intimate relationship with him. Am I making any sense? That's why Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain grace in our moment of need. You have a need in your life this morning? You have a need in your family? Do you have a need in your business? I'm not being facetious or stupid, but you can sing about Calvary till the cows come home. You can come in here and speak in tongues till your tongue stuck to the top of your mouth. But if you want answers, you've got to come through the veil. Oh, Lord, help me. Three entrances, three doorways, three openings. The door of salvation, the door of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the veil which has been rent in twain by God himself, Jesus Christ, where we can enter into intimacy with the Lord and we become one with him. 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, He that has been joined to the Lord becomes one spirit. Folks, that's what God wants. I tell you what is absolutely essential in the hour we're living in now. Worldwide events are forcing us as Christians into a total new dimension of the presence and power of God. If we don't make that journey, if we don't make that step and move in there, we're going to be awfully embarrassed. Someone emailed me a few days ago and they said, where do you think we are at prophetically? And I thought about it and I said, we are at the wick trimming time. You remember the story, Matthew 25? He tells the story of the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, 
there came a call, the bridegroom's coming. What did they do? They got their lamps and they trimmed the wick. They filled them with oil so that they were ready for the coming of the bridegroom. The bridegroom's coming! Has your wick been trimmed? What's your oil supply like? Are you ready for him to break through? Let's pray. Father, I just sense your presence like I've never sensed it for a while. And I just thank you for it. But I pray, Father, for this congregation. I pray for every person that's here this morning. I pray, Father, that in their hearts they will have discerned at what point they are in the journey. Are they still dancing around the brazen altar? Are they in the holy place enjoying their speaking in tongues once a week? Or, Father, have they come to the veil and entered through in Christ? And I pray, Father, in these closing few moments of the meeting, that you might meet people right where they're at. May there be eternal decisions made in people's hearts right now, Lord. Have I changed their lives forevermore. I trust you and I commit the congregation to the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Joel. Folks, if you can be in the meeting tonight, be there. I want to deal in words of knowledge and the prophetic. I will not be happy until this church is moving in the power of the Holy Ghost. I've been praying and seeking God for it, and I tell you what, the place is cracking open, like, just like Pastor Marty said. It's a, new, it's a new move of the Spirit of God on right now. Why don't you stand?